Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 80. We also invite you to join our private Facebook group. To receive an invitation, send an email to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com and tell us your biggest need or problem when it comes to Christianity. We'll get an invitation right out to you. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Today I've got a question about how to be a good disagreeer, or how to be a good disagreeable person, if that's possible. <laughs> We've been talking about disagreement is maybe maybe that's our new theme. We've moved on from eagles, and now it's about disagreeing. <laughs> I don't know, but I had a situation. This is really kind of funny because so I was at a birthday party, and some people, just a small group of people, all know each other really well, sitting around talking about different things and. One thing led to another, and and one person was making a comment about, oh, about something about how, you know, after we die, that something happens to us or happens to our souls, and 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 it was interesting to watch the conversation unfold. Uh, there, a few other people kind of piled on to kind of support that idea, and were really resonating, and then kind of there were a few you know courtesy nods and. I may have even given the courtesy nod myself, but as I was sitting there, I was having this moment, almost like Evan described in the Facebook group of being in a conversation and thinking about having recently read Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright and thinking, I don't think this is quite right, but, you know, I I can't interject, I can't like spend 15 minutes explaining everything that I've just been reading in this book. And I had the same sensation in this conversation of, wait a minute, I'm not sure I agree with that and something smells funny here, but I don't know what to say. And okay, I guess I just won't say anything. And so the moment just kind of passed, but it was, I think mm. later also thinking, I think you've raised this before the idea of one way of, of being on being an authentic person or having integrity is, is not agreeing when you don't agree. And so then I had another situation come and then I'm just, so guess where I want to go with this is what, what do you envision as a constructive way of disagreeing with other people without being negative Ned or cynical Sally? You know, it's just like, oh, there's John again, always just saying, how do you really know that's true or something like that? So the other situation I had, which is similar to some of our, our other recent conversations was someone describing a series of events that they had had kind of over their life and uh, reflecting that, you know, maybe they had been having these experiences with these different people because God had placed these people in their lives so that they could learn certain things, which I think is a very familiar thing that I've heard in Christianity. And that mm. made me uncomfortable too, because I just thought, I'm really not sure God does that. And maybe... Yeah. <laughs> that that's one possibility but maybe the other possibility is it's time to like not spend time with those people like maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're maybe they're it's just not a good situation so yeah i guess to, uh, to bring that all full circle what is your experience of situations like that where maybe you have been able to be disagreeable in a way that doesn't 
bring the conversation to a grinding halt or again where you're just kind of come across as that cynical questioning intellectual guy that just wants everyone to be able to prove everything if that's not the longest intro i don't know what is but there that's that's my question of the day i I like your intros you give a lot of detail so it's always easier to work with i think i would say that the situations are rare where i'm able to take uh you know, engage in a conversation with somebody about uh, a subject that they have, you know, a certain view on, how, how strongly they hold it um, could vary, but where we are actually able to, to, to progress any distance down, you know, the road of getting to sort of understand each other better. Um, most of those experiences that I've had recently have been at Labrie because Labrie is a place that's sort of oriented around that. People go there for that. Or if you just show up there, you realize that this is a huge part, maybe the central part of what this place is about. So you don't stay too long if it's not something you are willing to participate in. Well, the, the un, kind of the underlining, the most rules of engagement at Labrie is, is disagreement. Or if, there's a lot of room for disagreement. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Which I think is a great first observation that I hadn't... Yeah, as I'm thinking about these situations, and as I think about most of the church environments I've been in, there's almost an implicit understanding that we do not disagree, and that not yeah. that you can't question, but... Well, almost that you can't question. Which is which maybe is why in the in the first situation I described, there was no sense of... Like, it would have kind of been culturally impolite yeah. to say, eh, not so sure about that. Yeah. Well, I guess that's it too. Like when you're in a like certain, it's funny because certain situations are almost designed for uh, this kind of chit chat, but it's odd when chit chat, which could be about the weather or sports or uh, current events, when it sort of moves to topics that are very important or that, that, you know, many people would think are, are, are quite important or debatable, and yet there's absolutely no assumption that the conversation will deepen or lengthen. You know, that's a str- it's always been a strange thing to me. Like, how, how, how can we talk about, I don't know, religious beliefs or some of these big questions, and yet, you know, it's kind of dropped in a, casually in conversation, and it's supposed to be just another part of, like, as important as the weather almost. And unless we're talking tsunamis and, you know, hurricanes, it's usually not as important as the weather. So um, that's that's a strange one. Yeah, I think, too, I mean, you, um, the whole idea of being disagreeable, I, my goal, if I, you know, I guess, enter into a conversation like that, I would first of all, you know, ask myself, well, what's going on here? You know, if this is a room full of people, I know hardly any of them, and someone makes a casual comment, odds are I won't say anything. Because for me, um, I'm always asking myself, is this a discussion I want to have? Or is this not so much a battle I want to fight, but is this an engagement that I want to take on? Do I want to take on this engagement? And then if and when I do, um, typically what I'm trying to do is understand the other person's point of view 
and then raise just a couple of points. And what I find most often is it is extremely unlikely that the points that I raise are understood. And I think, you know, it's not because I'm uh, smarter than the other person that I understand (laughs) them and they don't understand me, but because I've been where they've been. I've lived that type of Christianity before. So, yeah, when you say these words, you know, sometimes when you say something to me in a podcast, I'm taken aback, I'm surprised, and I have to think back in my head and go, oh, yeah, it is like that. Yeah, yeah, I understand that now. That makes sense, what John's saying. You know, and it's the same thing, though, when I'm with somebody else, but I can, I can cast my mind back and I can remember what it was like 25 years ago or however long ago. And some of the, the ways I thought and the ways that uh, the evangelical people that I associated with typically thought. And there's a point. I've recognized that when I'm trying to get something across and presenting a different perspective, I've recognized that for most people being able to engage with, let alone understand, and be comfortable enough, I guess, to dialogue, right? Be comfortable enough to dialogue with it. To have that happen is rare. And I typically find that what happens is, you know, we think we're talking about the same thing. And then if we can get far enough, we recognize to a certain extent, or the other person might recognize, no, we're talking about some different things. Greg's coming at this in a slightly different way. And, um, you know, and so unfortunately, what ultimately happens if the conversation goes long enough is, is there can be some discomfort. And I guess this ties in with what we talked about last week, uh, you know, when you were talking about why am I so excited that there's this contention between, say, Tommy and I or between Anna and I? When they're, why am I excited and pleased almost that they're um, taking issue? And I think that my, my view is they're going to have to take issue because I think there are some new things that I'm putting out here. And these new things can be or seem um, problematic. Fantastic. Let, let's, let's talk about that. And I think the thing that really excites me about um, engaging with Tommy and engaging with Anna is that both of them are willing to keep the conversation going, to hold their own points of view, to push those forward, those points of view that they hold, and to do that in a way that's productive and polite. I couldn't ask for more. Like that's just A plus on my list. It's unbelievable because what happens for me most often is that people will shy away. They'll begin to see that there's some you know, differences that I hold a different perspective. They may become fearful. They may become, which may make them shy away, which may make them reactionary, um, which may um, you know, lead into uh, down a whole bunch of side routes. And so we get sidetracked and mired. We don't really get anywhere. So, so do you think there's a place for the courtesy nod or what? <laughs> or here's a, here, I'll make it really practical. <laughs> so if you're in a situation where someone is espousing something that either you're not sure about, say, say, okay, for the sake of example, let's say that you know them very well. So in the, the two situations I described, I know all the people involved in both situations very well. Mm-hmm. Years. So what how do you hand what's a how do you handle situations like that then when mm-hmm. someone says something that you think is is off or you're pretty sure like you know what I just don't agree so like this example of God you know it just seems that God is just putting all these people in my life to teach me you know this particular how to deal with this particularly negative trait of all these people that have come through my life 
And I'm right. just like, no, maybe it's time like not to spend time with those people. <laughs> as, as opposed to, yeah. so what, how, how do you handle those situations? Again, if it's a one-on-one, I'll tell them what I think. And I guess it depends too, like, are they dropping comments? Are we on a walk or a hike or something and a comment gets dropped? And then, you know, I guess I'm asking myself, first of all, what are they asking? What type of engagement are they looking for from me? So even if somebody doesn't know me at all and they ask me point blank what I think, I will give them at least some of my thought. I've always been reticent to pull out a lot of what I think on a subject because typically what I'm doing is I'm saying I'm agreeing to my half of a dialogue and they may not know that they're inviting me to that. They may think they're inviting me to comment. Well, it's really hard to comment if, if the majority of my comment, like the majority of an iceberg, is below or in some ways hidden from their sort of common experience mm-hmm. and common understanding of, I don't know, what it is to be a Christian or how Christians interact with the world or what it means to read the Bible as a Christian and how you know, we understand life based on the Bible or all these other inputs. So if I know that my ideas are going to be new to them, I'm still reluctant to talk to them and give them very much. If I give them some, typically I would just sort of offer a little bit. And if they seem engaged and interested, I'll offer them more. If I give them a little bit, and I know that if I were in their shoes, I would find that dissatisfying, but they walk away or they sort of say, oh, okay, thanks a lot, then I don't push the point. Because what they really wanted to do is, well, I'm not really sure, but they weren't looking for a conversation right? They were looking just to have, I don't know, to draw, exchange a comment or something. But if it's a person I know really, really well, I mean, I can think of a couple instances where a couple of people, I can give you two, two examples. I won't name names, but people that I know well. And in both cases, I'm surprised by some of the things they think. And on the one hand, in one case where it's some surprise, um, that I experience to know what they think on certain, certain regards. You know, I will bring out some of my points if we get into a discussion. You know, if they just drop a comment here or there, um, I, I don't feel like I need to kind of say anything back to them. On, with another friend that I can think of that I haven't seen in a very, very long time, but I am not simply surprised, but I'm, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply saddened by some of the choices that this person has made and they have had a very, very tough time. So I I don't in any way, you know, think that um, they've just kind of made intellectual choices and and kind of thought, oh, this is the best way to go. I think life has, has impacted them. And for many, many reasons, they have made some choices, but I'm, I'm terribly dismayed by some of these choices. I, I, I have angst over this. And I think if I were to be in that friend's presence again, I would want to really understand the full scope. I'd want to sit down with that person and, and, and spend as much time as I could not talking about why they think what they think, but asking them about their life and asking them about you know, what's going on and where are you at and you know, how, do you, how are you paying your bills these days and, and how are you making ends meet and, and what does that all look like for you? And then understanding a bigger picture or a better picture of that person's life right now 
and before moving in any direction towards some of these you know perspectives that they hold that I find really um, uh, really dismaying so I guess in both cases the first case I'm describing it's more of you know if I see this person uh, in a social setting and we have a talk or something's raised then I know I'm going to have more opportunity with that person so I guess that's the main thing I keep in mind is if this is somebody I know really well and if I have any type of regular exposure I'm not at all worried about making my points because I know that there'll be more time I might say something here and something there I may not say something later and then at another time have a lot to say and then of course if it's a friend who might be in crisis and I know or suspect I suppose because of the crisis that that crisis is impacting their choice making, I would really want to understand that crisis before I said anything about any of their choices, no matter how much I disagreed. Because I really want to understand what it, life might look like from there, from within their shoes. I can't be them and I can't take on their place, but I can understand better and I, I'd want to do that before I said anything. Now as you're talking, I'm thinking too, I think this is just some of my own work in having just having courage to speak up more. So just in, in personal situations, work situations where mm. my past tendency would be, well, just kind of stay underneath the radar here <laughs> for various reasons. But yeah, maybe, yeah, some of this conversation could just be me just needing to in those real life situations, because I was thinking to myself, as I was kind of thinking this over and thinking, oh, miss me, maybe this would be something good to talk about today. I thought, well, we're totally disagreeable on this podcast. <laughs> I thought, oh, but that's easy because it's it's a book, it's something that's written, it's not a real time interaction with someone. It's it's material that you can look at and you can reflect and and then mm-hmm. respond to. And I think I'm more of a a processor than I am like split second in the moment. Oh, here's exactly what's going on. Here's what I think. Let's take this mm-hmm. in a different direction. And some of this probably just comes into practice, you know, practice and failing, <laughs> having mm-hmm. some awkward moments of, Oh, maybe that wasn't such a great opportunity to, to say what I was thinking or, or feeling. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and I think too, we've got, I know that as much as you and I disagree, we're going to come back next week and we're going to pick up the same topic or another topic and we go off from there and and that there's the kind of a, a a that our friendship and our partnership in podcasting neither one of them depend on us agreeing with one another and i think that's probably also you know here's a here's a really interesting thought that, that's just occurred to me. I mean we've talked before about the church's mode of interaction when it comes to engaging with perspectives that are not Christian or that they the church may consider to be quasi christian but but dangerous really problematic. That mode of interaction is not dialogue it is dispute, and you see that all the way through some of the the scholars and theologians that I really respect, I really like their work, 
but I can read in their articles and in their chapters this orientation towards dispute, some of them just saying it just outright. And I think that that is an egregious, egregious problem. That is a huge error. That is the wrong way to go. And I think as a result of this being the norm in churches, no wonder if you're in a casual conversation and someone contradicts you, or at least throws up a question mark, a big one maybe, and uh, you're, you're there as the speaker who's being questioned or contradicted saying, you know, I can't think of any way in which what this person is saying could be biblically sound or could be orthodox. Well, then you're in a position that's really awkward because you know what? You've been trained to dispute with this person, to debate with them. You haven't been trained to listen to what they have to say. Because there's, it's almost like there's a filter that's a binary filter. And, you know, it takes so much data and then, okay, I've got the data. I know that this person is either basically saying what I'm saying, they have a slightly different perspective on the matter, or they may be coming from a different denominational perspective on the matter, or they are not holding a perspective that I would consider biblical. And they're saying that this is the way God works, or this is the way Christianity should be. And so I have an obligation to dispute with them. And that is a really tough situation. And I think that is one of the reasons why it's almost like there's two sets of rules. Because you'd never see that if somebody was was talking like that about, I don't know, if you're having a discussion about urban planning or something like that, you know, where you put stoplights or how you calm traffic in the city center. You know, I'm sure people can get heated about that. But a heated dialogue is still different than a dispute because a heated dialogue is still interested in advancing the matter towards its best end. A dispute already understands what the best end is. You already know what's right. The point of the interaction is not to find out what's right. It's to prove it or have your opponent back down. And that simply is not Christian. So I'll where do you get that? Outright. Is that from your mediation training or? Which one? Not the, believing that it's not Christian? No, no, no. The distinction between dispute and dialogue. I don't know. It could be from that. But also, I mean, a lot of what I did with my um, graduate research was on this whole question of, at a high level, sort of religious dialogue. Like, what does it mean to listen? What's involved in listening? And so one of the key factors in determining whether I'm listening or whether I'm waiting patiently to shoot back. (laughs) And this is this distinction about critical listening. I think so, so, so few Christians I have ever met are able to do this. And of course, yes, in mediation. So as a trained family mediator and as an accredited family mediator, I have to be able to listen well. Listening what for? To understand And I'm sort of there in the middle, right? As a mediator, I'm trying to make sure party A is hearing party B, that party B is hearing party A, and they're both expressing themselves honestly but gently. That's what I'm aiming for. And through that process, through understanding what's really at stake and important for each party in this matter to move forward towards resolution. So there is a big piece of you know, functionally what mediation looks like or good negotiation, if you like. But I think also that this whole religious dialogue piece about listening is really being aware that what I'm trying to do, if I'm listening, how I'll know, in other words, that I am listening, 
is that if I'm looking for the best parts of what the other person is saying and I'm looking to strengthen them, I'm looking to bring out the truest and best and fullest of the other person's perspective. And I'm doing that because we are on a joint venture for truth. I may think in certain areas that I've got a lot more and much better sense of truth than this person that I'm talking with. But I hope that I never make the mistake of thinking I've got it all. Because then I'm thinking that I'm God. And that is the number one no-no when it comes to being in relationship with God. We're in relationship, but keep in mind, you're different than I am. I'm different than you are. Because if you start mixing that up, you're going to make a whole lot of mistakes. So no, I, I don't know the truth. I mean, I've got some of it, but I don't, I don't have that certainty. So let's make Sorry. it practical. Let's okay. make this really practical. So we often talk about how, you know, there isn't room in Christian environments for dialogue or that hmm. you're saying, you know, people, that the ability to listen is rare. What are three ways that we can be better listeners in the coming week? That is practical. Well, I mean, I think I, I would first of all consider this this idea that, ah, you see, oh, I love this, John. I love this. I love this. Because as I was beginning to answer, I was realizing John's acting me a pra- asking me a practical question, but I'm going to go to theory. <laughs> I, was, I was like, wait, I think he's going to theory. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and here's, here's the deal. I can tell you practical ins and outs. But until we've got a sense not only of where I'm coming from, my theory, but where I think a lot of, say, people who might need this skill, where a lot of evangelicals, and it's not just Christians who need this, bear in mind, but I mean, our audience is kind of, we're targeting mostly Christians and people who are interested in Christianity, likely particularly from an evangelical perspective. Or disenfranchised. Well, yeah. I'll put myself in the disenfranchised category. Sure. True enough. Yeah, that's a good point. So are you saying then that before you give three tips of the day, we need more context or where? where? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I think and so. And that's because not if, dodging the question. Well, no, I think it's answering the question the right way. So if, if I was to say, I think you need to think about what it means to um, bring out the, the real strength in your opponent's perspective. You know, you might, and then, and then we're back to this idea of, well, I'm talking to an atheist. What do you mean the real strength in their perspective? There is no strength in their perspective. They're an atheist. Well, okay, we've got a, we've got a, theor- we've got a practical issue, but it's got theoretical underpinnings. And the only way we're going to get any movement on the practical level is if we begin working on the theoretical. So one way to work on that theoretical is for me to say, hey, listen, you know what? I've got a lot of associations with atheists. I hold a lot in common. Particularly when my friends, for example, come to me and say, that Jesus, you know, I'm, I'm not, no, nah, that, that Jesus is, uh, that's a bunch of crap. That's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's terrible. It's a way of, you know, oppressing people. And my first question is, well, which Jesus is that? Which God are we talking about? And as they uh, lay out the characteristics and uh, sort of paint a picture of this Jesus, my response typically is, well, I'm with you. That Jesus sucks. But I don't happen to think that's the real Jesus. So this idea that I can, I, can, I can be associated with and have a level of agreement with 
anyone that I'm speaking with, depending on their perspective, even if it's just their perspective as a human being, as two human beings together. So that's a theoretical understanding that has huge practical implications. So when I say, hey, you know, part of listening better is taking their perspective seriously and bringing out its real strength, then that means that it doesn't matter who you're talking to. You don't have a right in the case of an atheist to say, oh, they're, they're an atheist, so clearly that, that doesn't apply here. No, it does. And the other point is to think about what are you doing when you're listening? So I remember at Brie back in 99, I remember recognizing that I was not being generous to people. And it was one of those rare moments before I was a Christian when I prayed and asked God for help. And then I, you know, went to a few more discussions and things sort of seemed to go better. And then a few more went on and I realized this isn't any better. I'm just waiting longer before I pounce on them. I'm like (laughs) counting to 15 instead of five. I'm not really caring about these people at all. I'm Mm. not really listening to them. I disagree with them and I think their perspectives are harmful and therefore I'm pulling out the, you know, the pulling up the putting up the shields and, and, and putting out the, the arms and, and attacking. And so what are you doing when you're listening? How are you understanding where that person's coming from? What goes into that for you? And then the last thing I think is this balance between listening and critiquing. And I think one of the main things that I have found to be helpful when the conversation is allowed to go that far. And it's not just me that makes it go that far. It's the other party. It's a, it's a joint effort. It's like dancing. You know, you cannot dance for two. You both got to be in it. But what I find is that if I have allowed the other person to be comfortable, to become comfortable by having a sense that I've listened to them and they know that when I can say, okay, so it sounds like this is what you're saying. And I can summarize or I can, um, you know, paraphrase, right? Which is kind of using their words and the basic understanding they're giving me and putting it back, sort of like summarizing, but not quite so global. But when I can in some way reflect back what they're saying, and I can do this in a way that they feel valued and like their position is at least, you know, understandable. And I've taken the time to, to get it. At that point, that's when we have an environment where I can be critical and say, okay, I hear what you're saying. Here's my view on this. And here's why I take a different stance. So I guess the three things were trying to draw out the strength in the other person's argument, asking yourself, what are you doing when you're listening? What exactly is going on? Are you just being more patient while you formulate your own argument? And then thirdly, how are you developing comfort in that other person and what happens, what's your kind of approach when you do have the opportunity to speak your mind? You know, and I think, I think too, a lot of it depends on, well, you know, it could be somebody at the bus stop saying this or that. And I guess for me, I often don't, I don't engage, right? If somebody at the bus stop says, oh, you know, Christianity's a, a crock or whatever, that's not an opportunity, <laughs> it's not an invitation for a conversation, it's somebody who's angry and or who's spouting off. And uh, there's no likely no chance that what I say is going to be heard. So I don't feel like I have to defend God. I don't feel like, you know, 
God's bigger than me and a lot bigger than, bigger than everybody. And my goal is to um, bring understanding. But if that person's not in a place, clearly like I can recognize is not in a place where they're oriented towards understanding, then I think it's actually invasive for me to try to carry on a conversation with them. I, th- I think that's not what they're looking for. You know, if it's a colleague and, and I see them every day and they make comments now and again, and, and I think, oh, well, okay, maybe there's room for a conversation. Well, that's worth a try. Well, yeah, and I was thinking, so this is really helpful because I think what's what's coming to me as we're talking is, yeah, probably being a little too hard on myself in terms of like, well, I should have said something. I just let it go by <laughs> and my silence was, you know, the, my ascent. But in, I think the second situation I described, it'd be very easy to just, next time I see that person, just say, hey, you know, I've been thinking more about that conversation we're having and do you really think that? Or tell me a little bit more about how you reach that. In other words, I don't know how Mm -hmm. it's, I I feel like I could relaunch the topic in a way to register my discomfort and also maybe understand better how they're putting the pieces together and maybe with more information. (laughs) Amazing. Maybe there's more kind of, maybe there's more to their point of view than I initially heard or saw. Right. So, so to round this out, can you recommend any resources, any more resources? Like, are there any really good books for people like me that like to read books and be theoretical? I guess, I guess some <laughs> of this stuff just takes practice. But if someone wanted to get a little more theory or some practical help, do you know any books off the top of your head that talk to this kind of thing? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, um, I'll make two comments on this and I want to answer your question second. The comment that I want to make is that I, I actually heard somebody this summer who gave a uh, lecture at Labrie on, uh, on reconciliation and on kind of, kind of mediation. And I will say without reservation, it was the worst lecture I've ever heard I was waiting for the punchline of like, here's their name. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to give you a name. Okay. I would, I would never make a reference to this. It was, it was not just bad in the sense of somebody stumbling over their words or unfamiliar with the material. Actually, quite the opposite. They were remarkably familiar. They had, they, they had delivered this many, many times. And I guess here is another kind of piece in this um, theory versus uh, practical application. Uh, discussion. This person had uh, was giving a, a lecture mostly on how to do it, mostly on practically speaking, what does it look like to reconcile, but was basing it all on their reading of certain theologians, some people that I know and I've read and I like. But it was amazing to me, having done all the practical work that's required to be, uh, you know, uh, certified as a as a mediator. Some of the things they were saying were just downright ludicrous. They just wouldn't work. And, and I, as, as this person began to give a, give a few examples, I, just, I was wincing in the background, just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I'm not going to do that because that would really be devaluing and really damaging to someone in that position of you know, being in a, a, a volatile state, a contentious situation with somebody else and being responded to or treated that way. So I would just say for those who are really looking to make inroads, I would really suggest, and, and here again, I, you know, this may seem strange to, to some, B, 
being very practical about it. And I could give you some books that are going to give you some techniques, but the most essential thing that I had that really helped me uh, was going through these courses. I don't know how many hours of courses I took, 300 hours or you don't have to do that many to get your certification here um, in Canada, but um, I, I took some extras. Yeah, but a lot of these were, I was, I was actually given a scenario, had to work it out and role play with somebody else. Don't fool yourself. Role plays can be extremely tricky. Yes. And, and ex- helpful. And amazingly yeah. helpful. Oh, yeah. But I'm there being videotaped, being watched by my whole class, and being commented on by two professionals. Now, that was, a, a, that was an education, right? And they were gentle and they were, you know, very kind and nobody got shot down. But I've got, you know, however many CDs of myself doing this over time and then, you know, practicing. Now I'm at a different, I'm at a professional level, right? Hopefully I can be a very good facilitator of conversation. But I would say that in any situation, if you want to look up, say, active listening, and you want to look up some of the tools that relate to um, mediation, you know, mediation uh, strategies, let's say. And here again, we're not talking uh, global mediation. We're not talking, you know, mediating between Israel and Palestine. We're talking about neighborhood stuff, one-to-one, face-to-face sort of stuff. I'll get some links and I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm breaking open some of the books. As you know, I'm moving into my, um, my new office space. And so I'm going to finally open some of these boxes and pull up my mediation books. So I promise I'll have some. I would just say here and, and take it from me as somebody who really values theory, that <laughs> theory is super, super important. But, but I was listening to this guy and I know without a shadow of a doubt he was telling me the truth when he said, this is what I do and this is how I do it. And everything I've learned taught against that, what he was saying. And the implications of doing it the way he was doing it made me cringe. So I would just say, you know, we really want to be particularly, uh, you know, as Christians, we want to be loving ourselves, loving our neighbors, uh, you know, and loving God in the process. And uh, we need to be careful this is this some of the stuff is kind of tricky. So what you're saying there is this person was presenting the theory of how to do good reconciliation or good reconciling and you're saying that theory needs to be balanced with the practical which is how's that really going to work out and does that really make sense and does it square with all these other things? Yeah, I think this guy was coming from an academic perspective and saying, here's what these authors say, gave us a couple of books that he was was big on. And I think the books are probably quite helpful in certain regards. But when he went to apply them, he misapplied them seriously. But I don't think that like because he was on his own or because he was working with or in the kind of uh, – in the company of others who were not themselves trained practitioners, he had no one on a practical level to model himself on. So he, he did things the best way he thought they should be done. Well, that's, you know, kudos to him for, for trying to work towards that. But I think that's also why we have, you know, uh, regulate, regulatory bodies. We have, uh, you know, uh, certain educational programs that help people develop some of these skills um, yeah. And if it's, it, I guess this is the other thing too, that I would come back, you know, with the previous discussion with Tommy, because 
if what you're saying in theory has has no teeth in practice, if it doesn't work and has no traction, then what's it worth? Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts or questions on this episode, so leave a comment at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 80. We also invite you to join our private Facebook group. To receive an invitation, send an email to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com and tell us your biggest need or problem when it comes to Christianity. We'll get an invitation right out to you. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.